Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today we've got another top 10 episode. Well, really, it's more like a top 13 or 14 because I just kept finding these great questions through my emails. Um, but today we're looking at frequently asked questions regarding studio career, studio business, work-life balance, all of the above. So I think you're going to get a lot out of these questions. I hope that uh, all of you out there are staying strong and trying to do what you love. I know it's really tough out there in the music industry, especially now. There's so much up in the air with Spotify and streaming rates and artists aren't getting paid. And can we continue to make this a career? I'm sure all of us out there have thought these things at some point or another. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any more questions, please send them my way. But these are some of the most common questions that I've gotten about this topic. And I get this, I get questions about this a lot. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to answer some of these for all of you if you've ever been curious and maybe you haven't emailed me and asked me my opinion. But as always, if you do have questions, make sure you send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Maybe it'll end up on an FAQ show in the future. All right, let's get started. Okay, so number one, I want to make a career out of audio. Where do I even start? How do I know if I'm ready? So I'll go ahead and spoil it for you now. Um, you, I really don't think you'll ever know if you're ready to start a career in audio. You know, my dad once told me that for anything good in life, if you wait around until you feel comfortable and ready, you'll never get anything done. And what he, I think what he means by that is like anything big, major, you know, in your life, like buying a home, moving somewhere, getting married, having kids, going to college, any of these big sort of life changes that we, that we tend to have, um, you're never really going to be ready for them because they're so drastic and they're so monumental in a person's life that what can possibly prepare you for them? You know, you can read about it and learn about it and research it, but everybody's experience is going to be different. And the older I get, the more I realize how right he was about that. And, you know, I don't think anything can really prepare you to have a career in audio. Some people's careers are kind of like, I'm going to quit my day job and do audio full time and I'll be good to go. Other people just sort of slowly build it up and transition into doing it full time. That's probably more common. How do you know if you're ready? I, I think if I had to give some sort of practical answer to that, it would be like, if you feel like your product is good and people want it and they will pay you for it and you're you're in demand to some degree, even if it's small, I think you might consider doing it because sure, it's, it's really tough to tell someone, you know, quit your job, quit, you know, quit school, go do audio. I, I, I can't really tell you that, but what I can tell you is there is something that happens to a person, I believe, when they drop what they're doing to do something else where it's almost like the mind goes into survival mode and you kind of just make it work. If you're really driven enough, you will do whatever it takes to make it work. When I dropped out of school to do audio full time, it was incredibly scary for me. And I was already working, you know, 40 hours a week doing audio and going to school full time. And I just said to myself, listen, I, I don't I don't want to graduate with bad grades. And I know that the busier I get, the more my grades are going to slip. I also I, I like school. I enjoy school. But 
this is what I want to do with my life. I'm, I'm getting work. People are asking for me. I, I'm making a living. I, I need to do this now. And so despite all the uh, could have and should have, you know, statements I could make to myself, well, well, I could have finished college and then I'd have a degree. And then, you know, maybe it was it was not the right decision. It's too late to know now. But I went full time and I don't really regret it in the long run. I do think about what it would be like if I had stayed in school. You know, like I said, I enjoyed school, but I also know that I have a full-time career now and I pay my bills and I have a home and I have a studio. And I mean, I'm living, I'm living the dream, so to speak. And so how can I really argue that what I did was the wrong choice? You know, I guess overall, if I had to answer this question as succinctly as I could, I would just say you never really will feel ready. And to say, where do you start? I would say, just do what you're doing. Try to provide great service for people. Try to provide recordings and mixes or whatever it is that you're doing specifically that are really competitive in your area. And just do good work. Don't try to be some fancy, you know, don't try to sucker people into your business. Don't fall for marketing gimmicks or anything like that. Don't fall into that trap of like, I'm so eager to succeed. I'm going to stoop to clickbait marketing gimmicks on social media. Like actually provide a good product. You're not trying to get rich quick here. This is a long game. I promise you it won't work and it won't impress people to do the get rich quick audio guy thing. We've all seen it. You know what I mean? We've all seen it on social media. Like, here's 10 tips for your mixes, and I'll give you my EQ cheat sheet, and you know what I mean? And sign up for my for my course, and I'll give you a—we've all seen it, and frankly, most of us are tired of it. Like, we're tired of the clickbait YouTube videos. We're tired of the phony marketing for audio people. It's just—it just gets old, okay? Don't do that. Provide real, hardcore, good service to clients. Provide a service that makes them happy, makes them want to come back, makes them want to tell other people. You're really trying to provide value. Like, be genuine. And if you really do want to do it, then I think you can succeed. I think that's really what it takes. It's just somebody willing to take the plunge and saying, I'm in this for the long run. I'll do whatever it takes. So hopefully that helps. Okay, number two. I live in an area that doesn't have much of a music scene. Should I move to a bigger city, somewhere like Los Angeles, Nashville, etc.? This is a hard question because I'm torn on this issue. First of all, I do think there are certain situations where there's just nothing in your area. The, the client pool is so small that you can't really expect to have a full-time career doing what you want to do. But I should clarify this in a few ways. Number one, it does depend on what you're wanting to do. If you're wanting to make a name as a mixer, for example, doesn't really matter where you live because most of that could be done through the internet, through marketing your work, um, through results that you get um, and, and proving to people, hey, I can really mix stuff well. Frankly, it doesn't really matter where you live for most people. Same thing if you're going to do mastering or if you're going to do editing or whatever. But if you want to actually record and produce people, you have to you have to admit there's got to be some amount of presence of those people in your area. You know what I mean? Like 
Like if you want to be a professional surfer and yet you live in the middle of your country, nowhere near a beach or a coast of any kind, that's going to be a challenge for you. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you look at it, it's going to create some huge issues. It doesn't mean you can't do it, but it's going to create some big boundaries, just like logistically, financially. Um, so in a lot of ways, it does make sense for you to move to a city that has a better music scene. Now, I will say this is different than should I move to a major music center like Nashville or L.A. or, you know, New York, wherever. That's a different question because that introduces some new things like, well, there's also tons of competition there. I mean, if you move to L.A., you're essentially now competing with some of the most known and notable engineers in the world. It's not quite the same as moving to like a slightly bigger city in your state. Um, so if you live in a small town, wherever you are, I've got, a, I know I've got a lot of listeners in the UK and in Australia as well. I'm not as familiar with some of the situations there, but I'm assuming it's probably pretty similar. If you live in a smaller town or a smaller city, if nothing else, you might have to move to a larger city. Okay. I'm not saying you have to move to the capital or you have to move to this major, major cultural center, but you'll probably at the very least need to be somewhere that has enough people to make your business work. Um, again, if you're wanting to work with people directly. Now, you could argue, sure, you, you make a name and people will come from anywhere. But that's, you know, that's something that happens later. There's a lot of uh, major name mixers that, and, and, and even engineers and producers that have moved out of places like San Francisco and L.A. and New York because it, the cost of living is getting so high and they've developed enough of a reputation where people come to them and they don't need to be, you know, in a major music city. But I guess my point is you don't have to, but if you really want to work with people, record and produce music, you will probably, if nothing else, need to be somewhere um, moderately big or moderately metropolitan. Um, now, should you move to a music center? That one's really hard for me. I have never lived in a major, major music center like that. Um, where I live, you know, we've got a great music scene here, but it's not LA, you know, and I, I can't really answer that question. I know people who have gone and they come back within a year. I know people who have gone and immediately found work and immediately made great connections and never want to leave. It really is just dependent on the type of person you are and the connections you may or may not have. It's a really tough thing to answer, so I don't really have a good answer for that. I, 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 won't, I wouldn't say you should exclude that as an option. I would say it certainly is an option. But um, then again, some of the advice that I got early on from a mentor of mine when I asked him, should I move to you know, this major music city, um, you know, would you give me a, would you give me a job? Would you let me work in your studio? And he told me, you know, sure, but I don't think you should. He's like, I, I'd give you a job, but I, I don't think you should. I think you should stay where you are. And I said, why? I was like, it's a much bigger music scene. Like I have much more chance of working with artists. And he was like, he's like, yeah, but the city you're in is great. It, it, it has a music scene it's not as big as ours. No, he said, but wouldn't it be better to be a big fish in a small pond rather than the other way around? 
And he had a really good point, you know, because if I were to move there, then I wouldn't know anybody. I wouldn't have many connections whatsoever. I'd have to start from scratch, basically. And at that time, I had already been recording people for a couple years. I had started to build up a reputation. And he was like, listen, he's like, people there need you. There's a good music scene and there's a need for you. So stay there and you'll probably be happier with lower overhead, lower cost of living than you would be here where you'd have to struggle for 10 years just to kind of make a name for yourself. He's like, because how long have you lived there? And I said, well, my whole life. He's like, and it's not just how long you've been recording. It's musicians that you know and friends that you've made and family members and co-workers and, you know, people that you know from down at the supermarket. Like, it, it really is the connections are so important. And if you're you're deeply rooted in an area and you have good connections... Maybe it's not the best idea to move somewhere else. Maybe it's better to try to develop those connections. So that's one more thing to consider when it comes to this. But um, that is a really tough question. Uh, all of these questions are really tough because, you know, everybody's path looks a little bit different. But hopefully that gives you some things to consider. Okay, number three. Is it best to rent out other studios for work, lease a space, build a commercial space, or build at home? or work inside your home in a room? What are the pros and cons of each? All right, so this is a huge question, but it's one that I get a lot um, regarding, you know, what does it really look like to have a commercial space, whatever. Let me first say that you don't have to have a commercial space these days in most places. In some places, there have been some legal battles about whether or not you can run a business out of your home, terms of home office, all this stuff. I live in an area where they're pretty friendly to small businesses and things like that, people running businesses from home and whatnot. So that's a harder one for me to say just from direct experience. I haven't experienced tons of pushback in that department, but I know other people have. Now, it's not, nothing's going to hurt you from starting a small place at your in your home, right? Most of us already have that to some degree, whether it's in a bedroom or in the basement or in an attic or in a side building or whatever it may be. That's obviously going to be the most affordable and generally speaking is going to be the most convenient. That makes it pretty hard to beat. And these days, thankfully, most musicians are pretty forgiving of that as well. Like they don't they're not the type to think that home recording is a joke because it's been a thing for so long now that it's like, oh, well, we're going to work you know, with this guy in his home studio. It's just not weird anymore. It used to be weird, you know, just keep that in mind. It used to be very weird to like record at home. It was like, what are you, ki are you kidding me? This guy's got a studio at home. You know, we just do an overdubs there or, you know, but people are making finished high quality records at home. Um, in, a, in a myriad of different arrangements. Maybe it's their whole house. Maybe it's a side building. Maybe it's their bedroom. Maybe it's, you know, it, it really, really is all over the map. Now, when should you lease a space or buy a space or build a commercial space? That one, it, it gets really expensive. Um, I don't have a commercial space because I couldn't afford it at the time. And uh, I still can't really afford it. And these days, it's debatable to me, to me whether or not it's lucrative to build a commercial space because of the budgets and the way that musicians 
are getting screwed these days through payouts of Spotify and all this. It's, there's so much up in the air. It's really, really hard to justify building a half million dollar building, even if you could get a loan, which, you know, I've been to banks and asked for loans and basically been laughed at by loan officers saying like, man, we can give you a loan, but the interest rate is going to be so bad because you're in the entertainment industry. And like the risk is so high that no bank is going to look at you as like a legitimate force unless you're just a millionaire. Um, And that's an unfortunate reality, but I get it. Like imagine looking somebody in the face and saying, Oh, I'm going to build a, you know, $2 million studio. And just thinking about, okay, well, how much are you going to make every year from musicians? Are you going to make $2 million a year from musicians? Are you going to make half a million dollars a year? Are you going to make $100,000 a year? Even then we start thinking about the numbers and we start thinking like, oh my gosh, like working in the music industry doesn't pay that much. And, and, and you just have to like admit it to yourself and we all know it, but like you really have to face it when that sort of comes up, when you're sort of thinking of like paying back loans and paying leases or rent or whatever. If in my experience, I would not recommend renting or leasing unless it was already a recording studio or unless you have a lot of freedom to alter the construction of the place to me, that's just a temporary solution that is never really going to give you the results that that are good. Because to to really have a studio space, now you could probably do that for a mix room. I will say that. You probably could. But I'm talking about a recording studio, you know, in its full form for recording and mixing, mastering, whatever. For a mix space, you might consider leasing, but even then you have issues with neighbors and noise and most of those places that are, you know, they don't have good isolation and they won't let you put in new drywall. And it's, there's so many things to consider with that. And you can get in trouble for being too loud if you're renting a spot and then you get kicked out. And then where do you go? I think ideally you build something at home or, or remodel a part of your home or, you know, build a studio in your garage uh, or build a building on your property, which is sort of the in-between. And then at a point when you can afford it, maybe you consider either renting out a commercial space to try it out for a while, you know, just as a mix room. Maybe you consider moving your studio uh, merging it with another one. I've seen some people do that where essentially there's an established studio and another person says, essentially, I want to be a resident of this studio. I'm going to move all my equipment here and we're kind of co-owning it, cooperating it. I mean, and this question is so hard because there's, again, similar to the career, these other career questions, there's not really one path. I will say it is cheapest to do it at home and it's most expensive to build a commercial studio from from scratch. In between those two extremes, it kind of depends on exactly what it is. I I personally have sort of a problem with renting things and rentals in general. I just and that's just instilled in me from my my dad and my grandpa about like, you know, own the stuff that you have. Don't don't get into crazy debt and don't do rentals because you're just throwing money, 
you know, down the drain. Um, so that's just like part of my upbringing. For you, that might not be true, especially in a lot of places where there's bigger, you know, people who live in bigger cities. There's no other option other than to rent. So I, I totally get that, you know, but I'm sorry if this answer is not quite what you wanted. Hopefully it had something in there that might have helped you. But it, it's a tough question. I Again, it I kind of defer back to uh, my gut on that and say like, don't worry about ha- like you don't have to have a commercial space to be successful. You don't have to have some big fancy studio to be recognized as, you know, good at what you do. Will there be a certain point when you need to graduate to a larger facility? Maybe so. And I think you'll know when that point is. But if you don't know right now, if you're like, I don't know, I've got all this money. Should I build a commercial space? Probably not. You're just asking like you'll know when you're ready, when you're outgrowing what you currently have. I think that's probably the best advice I can give is is it's not generally wise, I think, to just go full bore and build this huge space and expect people to come. Instead, I think it's better to start smaller and outgrow it and then build a bigger one and then outgrow that and build a bigger one. Because some of the questions we'll talk about later about setting rates and things like that will help this make more sense. But I just don't think it's wise to just, even if you do have a lot of money, um, it's such a huge investment to, to risk as opposed to doing it out of necessity when you feel like, man, I really need to get a larger space and I can afford it. I know I can because I can afford what I have now and the demand is there. So I wouldn't just jump full, you know, into the deep end right away without knowing what kind of demand there really is. Hopefully that's helpful. Number four, you seem very busy all the time. How do you stay so busy? I struggle to keep consistent work. This is a really common question that I get from uh, podcast listeners and friends and stuff that, you know, see that I work really, really hard and I'm kind of constantly working. And they ask me, like, what's the secret to keeping full-time work? And I don't really have any secrets about full-time work. I get work, I schedule it, and I get a lot of work, I guess. Really, uh, I don't purposely like constantly seek out work anymore. I used to, I really did. But again, I've been doing this. This is like, this is my 13th year of doing this. And I've built up a good client base, a good reputation of delivering good quality. I don't really do anything like marketing wise to, to like get more work in. Most of the people I work with contact me and want to work with me. And then I look at what they're doing and we decide, is this a good fit? Should we work together? And then we do or we don't. Also, where I live, you know, it's not the same type of city as like a Nashville or LA or something like that where you can't, the average musician is not a full-time musician. It's, it's So what that means is most musicians have to record on their day off or on Fridays or Saturdays. Uh, and sometimes their day off can vary. Some musicians are photographers and freelance people, so they're a little more flexible. But what that means is I have to be working with multiple artists at the same time to make the bills and make ends meet. Because if I just worked with one, I'd only be working a couple days a week when they're free, right? So I have to fill up the schedule with as much stuff as I can 
And so that means that I'm working with multiple artists at once. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's the ideal way to do it. I would love to just work with one artist at a time. But realistically speaking, I don't charge enough to make that happen. And people aren't flexible enough to make that happen. Everybody else is so busy with life and jobs and families and stuff that it's impossible to ask your average person, hey, take off 30 days to make this record. You know, it's just not feasible for most people. And I'm sure where many of you are, the average musician is not full time. Or if they are, it's, you know, they're still doing other things with music. It's not just their music. You know, maybe they're teaching or maybe they're uh, working at a guitar store, but then playing gigs. Like they're kind of doing music full time, if you know what I mean. Um, which, again, no, I'm not judging those people. That's, that's totally fine. I'm just saying like the reality is most musicians cannot afford to work full time in in their music only. Therefore... I have to adapt to that. So that's that's why I'm so busy is because I'm working with lots of different people at once and I kind of just never stop. I book my schedule Monday through Saturday all day long and that's what I do. So um, in terms of keeping consistent work, I, I think... I, th I wonder if a lot of the people who are giving me this question have really only had a couple of years of reputation on their side. Like, and, and I know it's so hard. It's a long game and you sit there and you think like, will it ever get better? Will it ever get better? I mean, there was a time when I, I was only working on two or three projects a year when I very first started, when I'd only been working for a couple of years, two years, maybe I would probably do like an EP and, five singles, maybe two EPs and five singles a year. I mean, that's nothing. I do that in a month now. You know what I mean? It's it, it's really, really drastic how much more work I have gotten over the years compared to when I first started. So just be patient. Again, provide quality service and do the work well. Really, really care about the client and what they're doing. I really encourage people who are in the audio world to stop thinking about it as their career and like like how can I how can I advance my career and my studio as a as a engineer and producer and make it you know what I mean and not focus on that so much as how can I make great music and how can I make great recordings for other people how can I provide great service for them how can I make them want to come back not how can I be successful? It's a different, slightly different framing of the, of the question. But I think it makes the biggest difference because ultimately we are a service, you know, this is a service industry. It's not serving yourself, you're serving the musician. And if you provide good service and, and just be patient and build up your reputation as someone people trust, people want to work with, people like the results that you get, I don't see how the work won't come. Now, again, this does tie back a little bit into if you live in an area that doesn't have much of a music scene, there might just not be the numbers there to keep consistent work. That's very possible, and that's something you might have to come to terms with. And if you're concerned about that, if you're thinking, 
man, I've been doing this for five years or so and I still can't get consistent work, you might need to consider moving to somewhere where there's more work. That's just the reality of the situation. I would argue in the first couple of years of you doing, you know, audio, don't expect full-time, you know, super consistent work. It's just not going to happen. It'll be sporadic and few and far between. And it might be full, but I highly doubt it will be. It wasn't for me, and it's not for a lot of people. A lot of people start out working with just a couple clients a year, and then they decide, you know, maybe I should do this, like, part-time, and then they work with a few more, and then they decide, okay, maybe I should do this full-time. And when they go full-time, they say, oh, man, now I'm working with people all the time. I, it's, it's gradual, and it does take time. So just be patient and provide good service and really try to focus on doing the best work that you can, and I think the work will come. Number five, when is the right time to hire a manager, assistant, intern, and so on? How do you know when it's right to expand your team? Okay, so this is a great question and something that I'm going through right at the moment. I am absolutely at a spot in my life where I need to hire an assistant. The question now becomes... Can I afford it? What can I pay them? How often can they work? All the above. Um, I'm, I'm working on transitioning into that. It's my goal to have an assistant uh, pretty consistently part-time or full-time by the end of this year. How did I know it was the right time? I got to a point where I said, listen, I've developed my business. I'm getting good work. I've built up my assets, my instruments, my microphones, my computers, things like that. And I'm looking at my expenses and I'm thinking, you know, I don't really need to reinvest so much profit into the business, meaning for, you know, gear, for equipment, for studio upgrades, because I've got a building, I'm happy with it. It's stable. I've got equipment. I'm happy with it. I can do my work. I'm not trying to like build up this big pile of gear anymore because I have it now and I've developed uh, what I've got is all useful stuff that I use. So then you're thinking, okay, well, how can I reinvest into my business? I could do more marketing. Yes. But what really would help me is to reinvest in my business by hiring people to help make my job go faster and smoother and easier. So that's kind of how my mindset went through the process is I said, like, listen, I, I really should consider hiring somebody now because I can I can afford to do it. And that's now the process I'm in trying to figure out how much can I afford? Can I afford them full time, part time, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think, again, similar to the uh, studio build, you kind of just know through necessity as you go along and you start asking yourself, like, man, would would I be much more happy with this if I had an assistant? Could I could that I could you know pawn stuff off to and say you edit this? I'm gonna go work on this. Would I get things done faster? Would I be more efficient? Or is it something I can afford? I think you'll know. I think it will naturally happen, and you'll get to a point where you can say this is something that I need that I want to invest in for the betterment of my business, for my sanity, for my time. Time is a big one. When you really start looking at your time and saying, is this worth it to me? You know what I mean? If this person can do this, how much time will it save me? Does that mean I can then work on this other thing and get that accomplished faster? And again, this is all in service to the client, getting their stuff, making the process efficient so that, for example, I don't have to spend 
two days editing a project and then I'm like burnt out on it and I have to sit away from it from a, from a week, I can finish recording a project, send it to an assistant, have them clean it up and prep it for mixing, send it back to me and I'm ready to go. Not only that, but you get that third party sort of outside opinion, hasn't heard it before. They can hear things that maybe you you missed, you know, it's, there's a lot of good, good reasons to hire an assistant. And there's a lot of good reasons to hire an intern. Now, I've, ta- I've had episodes about internships and things like that. But one of the things I don't know if I necessarily talked about that on is when to hire an intern. And I think interns are a great sort of in-between assistant and no assistant position. I've had probably five or six interns over the last 10 years, and I got to a point where people started asking me if I needed an intern. That's when I hired one, is when I said, actually, that could be kind of nice. People started asking me. I started meeting with them and, and asking them questions and just trying to get a feel for it. And I've turned down a lot of people for internships because I just didn't think it was going to be a good fit. And interns generally work for free or very cheap, and they generally just help out in the studio. It's a nice way to put back some knowledge into into the world and say, hey, this is a real-world experience for this person. But it's also a great way to get some extra help around the studio, which make this, makes the session go more smooth and makes it more efficient. Again, it's kind of a win-win for both people. And then I think after you've done that, it's, I think it'd be helpful to have interns before you decide to hire an assistant, maybe. That's just me pontificating on the idea, but I think it would be. And then after a while, I think you think, all right, I can't really ask my intern to do this sort of thing for free because this is a lot of work. So I think it's time that I need to start thinking about hiring an assistant. Now, in terms of managers, I haven't really gone down that path yet myself. I've considered getting a manager I've thought about it a few times and talked to a few different managers. I had somebody who recently asked if I'd be interested in being represented by their firm. And, you know, it's not really a path I'm comfortable giving much advice on at this point because I don't really have any direct experience with it yet other than basic talks with them. And they all are a little different, at least from what I can tell. Some of them offer a lot. Some of them offer a little. Some of them are more like... I'll help you get work and take a percentage. Some of them are more like, I'll manage everything about your day-to-day life and I'll help you get lawyers and I'll help you get, you know, anything you need, but I'll take a huge percentage. So I I think it really just depends. I mean, for any of us that have watched Dave Pensado's show, Pensado's Place, I mean, as far as I know, Herb is Dave's manager and Herb has been with Dave for a long time. They're longtime friends. I'm not exactly sure all of the things that Herb takes care of, but I know for a lot of professional mixers and engineers and producers, pretty much the only way to contact them is through their manager. So if you want to contact them to work with you, um, you have to go through their management firm. Through there, they kind of discuss prices and stuff and try to just let the producer, engineer, mixer, whatever, go about their day-to-day life, do their job, and the manager handles the business stuff for them. So... There are some aspects of that that are really intriguing to me. There are other aspects that are just kind of an annoying barrier between me and the client. So I don't know. I really don't have much good advice for you on the management side of things. Maybe in the future, um, I will have some better advice on that front, but it could be something I'm looking into. Otherwise, uh, do some research for yourself. I would definitely check out Dave Pensado and Herb and, and, 
um, look up some of their discussions on it. I remember uh, hearing something, Herb saying that like people have asked him all the time, how do I know if I need a manager? And his answer was something like, um, you'll know, you'll know when you need a manager and you'll, you'll feel like, holy cow, I really, when, when there's something to manage, that's when you need a manager. You know what I mean? <laughs> In like the nicest way possible. Like some people think they need a manager before they really do, you know, so take that for what it is. Hopefully that gives you something to start on. Okay. Number six, do you still do freelance mixing and mastering? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I, these days I don't do mastering anymore. I've sold off any piece of gear that I really have used used in the past for mastering in terms of analog gear, and I just don't do it anymore. I, I have learned to admit to myself that there are much better people out there for mastering, and so when people ask me these days if I do mastering, I send them all to my guy, and uh, so if you have questions about mastering, just send me an email. I can forward you on to him. But I do freelance mixing all the time. I still love to do it. So if you do have things that you'd like me to mix, you can send them my way and I can mix them. We can discuss rates and all that sort of thing. So um, people still ask me about this all the time. So that's that's where I am at the moment. Number seven, what do you like most about the job? Producing, recording, mixing, something else? This is a hard question for me because I... In general, I like the whole job, and and in depending on the project, I like certain aspects of it more. I would say, when in doubt, my default, I really do enjoy mixing a lot. I think if I had to do just one, I would probably mix, probably, but that's, again, it really depends. I really do love recording, but recording these days is so often associated with producing that that kind of puts that at a little bit of a disadvantage sometimes because in a lot of cases, I don't like producing. And I'll tell you why. The biggest problem I have in the studio is clients not being prepared or not really knowing what they sound like or what they want or what they're going for or how to describe to me what it is they want. And simultaneously, I'm kind of against the whole producer takes charge and makes the band sound like what he wants type stance like many producers take. So you couple those two things together. And for me, producing has to be the right fit. If I'm working with a band that's clear on their ideas and their vision and they communicate that to me and it makes sense to me and I say, yes, I understand this, I like it, I'm going to enjoy this, and I know how to help you get what you want, then I really enjoy producing. There are lots of bands I work with where that is the case, and I really enjoy producing in those situations. But in the situations where a client comes and says, like, yeah, we don't really know what we sound like, and, you know, I may not like the songs that much or they are not really confident in the songs. You know, my first thought is generally like, well, number one, how do you know that I'm the right producer for the job? Chances are they don't know. Number two, are you really ready to make this record? Like, it doesn't sound necessarily like you are. Those are frustrating situations. Um You know, so I would say with producing, I really do enjoy producing when it's the right fit. I really enjoy recording most of the time, 
provided that the players are, you know, at least decent, <laughs> recording can be a ton of fun, getting sounds, all that stuff. If the players aren't very good, recording can be a real chore. Um, but if the players are good, recording can be a ton of fun. And just like interacting with players in the room, cracking jokes, getting great sounds, recording music, it's so much fun, right? It's like it's part of the process we all love. And then mixing, of course, is like my, you know, it's me and myself and I, and I'm sitting there and I'm mixing, I'm in the zone, I'm taking this recording from A to B, and that's such a fun process for me as well. So I would say when the fit is right, I like all three of them kind of equally. When the fit is not right, I would probably just rather mix, you know, because I can... What's nice about mixing is that you don't really have to be involved in the process to to improve it in many, many situations. You don't have to be a producer or an engineer to know kind of where it needs to be or how to achieve a certain sound. You get a project to mix. They tell you, here's some references. This is what we like. And you are tasked with the puzzle of, okay, how do I take it from where it is now to where it, where it needs to be? You don't care about how it was recorded, whether it was recorded super well or kind of poorly or kind of lo-fi. You just know this is where I need to take it. And that's kind of a freeing place to be as opposed to, for example, if you're recording a band and you're in the room with them and you're, you set up a guitar sound and their guitar player says, I don't like that. Well, then what do you do? You know, you, you have to compromise and you have to come up with something that works. Whereas in a mix, you have a lot more freedom to just be like, ah, I'm going to do this to the guitar. And I think it'll work. I think it'll get what they want. There, there's a little more freedom there, if you know, if you understand what I'm getting at. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that answers that question. Number eight, how do you deal with burnout? So... Burnout is really tough, and, and I'll define it for you if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. It's basically that state of being where you just feel blah about everything, and you don't want to work, you don't want to call clients, you don't want to return their phone calls, you don't want to return emails. You're just overwhelmed and exhausted and frustrated, all of those situations, and and. It can also be a state of like, I don't even want to be in the studio anymore. I don't want to, I don't ever want to do this. Why did I ever do this as a career? You know, it's, it's like depression in a way, but it's more of like just a work exhaustion. And that's really tough because I think anybody who's done it for a long time has had little spells of that. Um, the bigger question I think is how do you prevent long-term burnout. You know, I know a lot of engineers who are no longer engineers who used to work in music and got so burnt out, so frustrated with the whole process that they just don't do it anymore. They sell all their gear and they just do something else. There's a lot of people out there who have done that. Now, I'm not saying I look down upon them for doing that. In fact, the opposite. I I can praise anybody who has the courage to give up something like this, something so consuming and sort of like life altering as, as a career in music or audio and to just give it all up for your, for your peace of mind. So I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. If that is what you feel you need to maintain your sanity and your 
family and, you know, all of your paycheck, all of those things. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting I'm burned out on this and I need to do something else. How do I prevent burnout? I'd really, really do try to notice when I'm getting frustrated or when I'm working on tons and tons of stuff. And I really try to be aware of that and and recognize this is this is a spell. Um, it's it's a rough spell at the moment. I'll get through it. Just take things one day at a time. Stay organized. Stay focused. Um, stay on task. You know, keep your to do list and check things off. And just take it one day at a time. Don't get super overwhelmed with what's coming tomorrow or the next day or the next day. I kind of live and die by my schedule. And I, when I'm on a Wednesday and I have clients coming in Thursday, Friday, I don't worry about those clients. I worry about Wednesday. I worry what I'm doing today. And I accomplish that. And the next day, I worry about what I'm happening, what I'm doing on that day. When the clients come in on Friday, I'm worried about the client only. I'm not worried about what I did yesterday, not worried about what we're doing tomorrow. I'm worried about that day. So I just try to take it one day at a time and uh, just recognize when I'm, when I'm getting burnt out and frustrated. I also try to make it a point as hard as I can to not take it out on other people. You know, like it's very easy to, uh, to bring home audio with you, if you know what I mean, like uh, it's very much like I, I think uh, people who are police officers and firemen, things like that, the things that you deal with every day, they make such an impression on you and they're so personal in a way that it's hard not to take that home with you and let it affect you at the dinner table or whatever. And I feel like oddly enough, I know it's you know very different, but I feel like there's some element of that with audio where it is personal and it is like it's your passion. And so it's hard to just leave it at work, you know, but I really do try to as hard as I can to not think about it when the day is over, try not to think about it, focus on my wife and hanging out with her and eating dinner and having a nice time. Um, that's really hard. Okay. That's something I I really do struggle with, especially because, you know, musicians are night owls. They're going to text you at night. They're going to email you at night. They're going to, you know, and just try to respond to those the next day. Um, if you can, (laughs) I know it's tough, but just try not to get overwhelmed. Try to just breathe, take take a minute, relax, focus on the day that you're working on things. Don't worry about the next day. And also make sure you give yourself scheduled vacations. Um, That's really hard for me, but I still do. If nothing else, I still do give myself pretty lengthy vacation around Christmas time and around Thanksgiving. I I have a small vacation and usually around uh, middle of the summer, I'll have a small vacation, but I, you have to schedule that stuff. You can't just say, oh yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably do that this year. You really have to schedule it. Okay. Schedule time off for yourself because it's so easy in the studio to just work and work and work and work. And it's like a vacuum chamber. I mean, time just like ceases to exist when you're doing something like music. I mean, you can sit there and realize I've been doing this for eight hours. What, what have I accomplished? You know, uh, it's wild how, how time can fly in the studio. So you have to make sure, um, like just last year I made the decision to no longer work on Sundays. Um, for, for basically the last five or six years, I have worked every day of the week. Now I did try to, 
you know, not schedule sessions on Sundays if I could, but it wasn't out of the question. And last year I, I made the hard call to basically not book, se- not book sessions at all on Sunday. If people say, I, I'll pay you triple, I'll pay you quadruple, uh, I, I don't do it. I just don't do it. I need some time off. I need that time to hang out with my wife or to be by myself or to get out of the city or to read a book or to whatever. You have to schedule that stuff and you have to make it a priority. I know at first you might not be able to. Things will be crazy. You're trying to get work. You're trying to do all this. And you will probably work yourself to a bit of burnout. But just know that as it gets better, as things get more stable, you will be able to make those sacrifices. And there's, again, similar to, uh, you know, my dad's advice on some of those earlier questions. You're never really going to feel ready. Like, oh my gosh, if I, if I don't work on Sundays, I'm going to remove this much money and blah, blah, blah. Well, let me tell you this. Last year was my best year financially that I've ever had. And I didn't work Sundays. So all of that fear of like, oh no, if I don't work on Sundays, then I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose one day a week, every week of the year. It was, it was better than the year before. And I worked more the year before. You know what I mean? Like as you raise your prices, you know, you, you get better, you get more efficient, you get more things done faster. That's how you, that's how you make it work. Okay. You look for efficiency, you look for streamlining the process, you look for getting better, getting better quality results, getting the job done faster. Think about it in terms of time. Don't think about it in terms of money. Think about what is super valuable. You can always make more money, get a different job, get a side job, whatever, but you can't get back your time. So always remember that. Like like you have to admit to yourself I got to prioritize some some spare time, some free time for myself. Um, this kind of ties into the next question, which is, do you have any tips on work-life balance? It's kind of all related to really to this and burnout. The same type thing. And another idea that I do is these days, uh, about four or five years ago, I made it a point, really, really made it a point to have hours of operation that were pretty firm. And that is 10 o'clock a.m. to 7 p.m., And if it's after seven, I'm like, okay, clients, you got to get out. Now, every now and then I'll schedule a late session, but it's really rare. And I, and I okay it with my wife. I talk to her about it in advance. I say, listen, you know, and, and I also charge more for late sessions. So that's, that was the other compromise. It was like, Hey, I'm going to charge you double after seven o'clock. So do you want to do that or not? And some bands will. And if they are willing to do that, then I'll say, okay, let me talk to my wife. I'll, I'll, you know, clear it with her and see if that's all right. But in general, I try to set hard hours of operation because otherwise I'd just be out here all the time. In the first couple of years I had the studio, I was out here just all the time with no definitive schedule. And it makes my wife so much happier that I, I had, you know, decided I, maybe four or five years ago to say like, listen, this is when I work. And at this time, I got to try to get those clients out the door. And I try to be done my hardest every day around the same time. So she knows and I know from here on out, this is this is our time. I'm not going to come out here uh, until, for example, my wife goes to sleep earlier than I do. So if she goes to sleep and I'm still, I, I got to finish a couple things, then I will come out to the studio and work on them. But I don't 
unless it's sort of a desperate situ- situation or unless it's been prearranged, I try not to do it. I- I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I'm not saying I'm the greatest at it. I'm not saying that I always follow it, but you have to set some sort of boundaries for yourself or you just won't follow them. Okay. You won't. I didn't. And it was really rough on my marriage. It was really rough on my sanity, trying to keep some amount of a regular schedule. It was really tough too, because I I would put all these crazy thoughts in my own head. Like, well, if I don't do this, then I won't do that. And you just don't know that, right? Like, you're, you will adapt. We're, we're, human beings are oddly adaptable. You know, we can, we can adapt to all kinds of wild circumstances, um, that we never thought we'd be able to adapt to. And I think if you, if you just admit to yourself, I need work-life balance and you set these boundaries, you will adapt somehow, some way you will. I did. So good luck with that. I know it's really tough. I'd love to do more talking about work-life balance and and things like that, but, um, you know, it's something I'm constantly working on. And I think anybody out there with, with, uh, whether you're, you're married or single or have kids or don't or whatever, whatever your situation, you still have to have some sort of work-life balance. And one more tip I'll give you on work-life balance is try to have other hobbies than just recording or music. You know, maybe it's cooking, maybe it's, uh, maybe you're real big into film and, and you like watching obscure movies and, you know, maybe you're big into hiking or taking walks or drawing or painting. Try to have other hobbies that even small hobbies that you'd only do sometimes that, that can distract you and take your mind off of audio. It's it's good to get away from it. You know, it's good to get away and then come back with sort of fresh ears, fresh mind, fresh mindset. Um, that's a, that's a great thing. And, you know, even, even something as simple as if you're in the studio all the time, you know, maybe make some time to play an instrument rather than just be in the studio. I know it's related, but you know, don't, don't be in the studio, play an instrument in your house and write some songs or work on your technique. Um, write some poetry, read a book, paint something, cook. I mean, there's so many options that you can do. You know, I love woodworking. I love cooking. I love learning about electronics and reading about electronics, which again is related, but it's, it's different. Like just learning about electronics in general. I love films. I love watching documentaries. You know, there's so many things, little things I love. Uh, Every now and then I like video games. It kind of depends. I'm not, I'm not super into that, but I kind of like more retro video games, you know, like Super Mario and, and uh, Zelda and those sort of like old retro games I grew up playing. Not as popular today, but, you know, I don't get into, like, I don't have a PlayStation or anything. I don't have a anything like that. But every now and then a video game is nice because it kind of distracts all of your senses. You know, it distracts your hands, your eyes, your ears. I mean, it's like you're, it's like full distraction from life. You're not really, it's not like you're on your phone watching a movie, right? It's like you kind of have to be involved in it. And so, you know, it, it, it's kind of nice in a way. Uh, that's That's been a surprisingly nice thing for me is playing some cool, cool video games, retro video games, just kind of like taking my mind off of the world for a little bit. I, I do love board games and I love card games, things like that. And uh, I mean, there's just little things that, that I enjoy doing and, and just recognize those things and try to try to let yourself do them and don't feel bad like, oh man, I shouldn't do this. Like there's all these like inspirational quotes and stuff on Facebook <laughs> that will make you think like, 
if I get distracted from my goal, I'm not going to be successful. And it's, it's BS. It's complete BS. Like you have to allow yourself some downtime to not think about work, to not think about success at all times and get your brain off of it. Because then when you come back, you feel refreshed and ready to go. Because if you don't, if you don't allow yourself other hobbies and don't allow yourself other things to do and don't allow yourself, your whole identity will be wrapped up in this thing and then you'll get exhausted from it and then you'll get burnt out in it and then you're burned out on your own identity. And that's not a good place to be in. You know, I've been dangerously close to that point many times. For example, when my life gets really crazy and busy, I don't put out many podcasts. Why? Because I have to be honest with myself and say, listen, I need to prioritize things. I need to not overwork myself. I need to say no. I need to say no to this client. I need to say no to this podcast. I need to say no to this side gig. And I need to focus on what I need to focus on and not drive myself insane. So a lot of times when you see these long periods of time where there won't be a podcast, it's essentially me just being realistic about my mental health and my sanity when it comes to this job and trying to prevent burnout. I don't want to get burnout on the podcast. I don't want to hate it and become bitter and be like, ah, oh, you know, it takes so much work and all this and blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to, I don't want to get that way. So I just step away and I come back when I'm ready. Now I'm at the point at this point you know, at this point where I want to get back into doing it more often and I want to send it to somebody to edit and hire a person to handle it because I could definitely put out more episodes, do more content if I would delegate that to somebody else. But of course, I need to pay this person. And so I'm working through that as well. It's all part of the process, hiring assistants. It's it's all related. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Let's get to another question. Um, number 10, do you have any tips on setting rates? So this one I think is really important and something that helped me a lot from going to school for accounting. Uh, just understanding things like break-even price and understanding looking at expenses and overhead and all of this stuff and trying to work with that compromised with the demand in your area and trying to find that good, healthy middle ground that represents what you bring to the table without scaring away people. You're probably going to sense a common theme here, but I, I believe when you first start doing audio or mixing or whatever, you're going to have to start lower than you think you should. But at the same time, you're probably going to be doing it part time. You don't necessarily need it for income. You're just trying to build up your reputation and over time, you'll be able to raise your rates. For me, I have raised my rates basically every year since I began. Um, sometimes it's by just a little bit. Sometimes it's by more than a little bit. Again, I'm, I'm looking at what the value is that I'm bringing to people, what other people are charging in the area. Is, is mine a deal? Is mine kind of on the higher side? Um, and then also with music and audio, you have to, you have to kind of consider... Um, the cost of big name guys relative to the cost of living in their city. That's why some of this gets confusing for people because you might say, oh, this big name mixer guy charges $3,000 a mix. And it's like, well, yes, but he also works out of Brooklyn or he works out of New York City. 
And the cost of living there is four times higher than it is in your city. So you may not necessarily be able to divide it exactly by four, but you just have to consider it. You know what I mean? You have to consider the cost of living is higher. Uh, you know, he also is a big name person. So you have to think about that in relation. So definitely look around at what other studios in your area are charging per hour or per mix or whatever. Look up what some of, uh, you know, if you can get a hold of management from some of your heroes and things like that, look up what they charge, consider what other studios charge in your area, do the math and figure out, okay, well, reasonably speaking, I think that I could charge this in my area. I'll try it and just go with it and see what happens. If it feels a little bit low, you know, over time, the way I think you know that a rate is too low is if you're just so incredibly busy and people are calling you, knocking down your door at all times. That's a pretty obvious sign that your rate is too low. A, a sign that your rate might be too high is, I mean, as soon as you start having the conversation with people, how much do you charge? They start saying, okay, I'll get back to you. And then they don't get back to you. Or they start saying like, uh, you know, do you offer any discounts, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not necessarily a sign that you need, that your rates are too high, but they're maybe getting there. If you start getting to the point where people are like laughing at your rates and saying like, how do you get business and, you know, uh, how dare you and, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Okay, that's probably definitely a sign your rates are too high. Um, when in doubt, start lower than you think and build up your reputation. Um, there is something very strong to be said about charging less than you should and working more. Um, there's also something to be said for hitting the ground running by offering really good value to people and building up your representation as a value uh, to them, to musicians. And then over time, as you raise your rates, it's sort of like you grow with them and they're like, yeah, but this person has always provided me great value. And so therefore, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't worry so much about some people will ask me like, well, I'm worried about charging this cause I don't want people to think I'm a joke, you know, like 10 bucks an hour or whatever. And they're like, I, people are going to think I'm a joke. But then at the same time, I get messages from people saying like, well, I don't want to charge a hundred dollars an hour because this guy charges that and he's way better than me, you know? I really think people, they, they kind of overthink it too much. Um, people tend to go with the person that they trust, someone who has provided consistent service and quality, someone that feels trustworthy, someone that they are friends with, someone they believe in. They, they, they shop emotionally rather than the exact price. Now, again, you do need to look out for, is my price too low, like way too low or way too high definitively? But somewhere in the middle there, I think you'll find that even if you raise your price 10%, 20%, your clients that like you and trust you and like your work, they're not even going to bat an eye because they're like, yeah, well, you're good. I understand it. I understand you having to raise your prices. I would also give you that advice is whenever you pick a price, pick it and stick to it for a year and, um, you know, and just, just see what happens. Try to gauge it at the end of the year and see, do I need to raise? Do I need to lower? And then if you do, then do. Maybe not a year, maybe six months. It depends kind of exactly on, you know, but but give it some time is the point. Don't just set a price for one project and then set a different price for another project and set a different price for another project. 
that becomes a real mess. It, it really does. So I would say just, just look at all the factors, try to do your research, find something reasonable, shoot low at first, and then just let it grow and recognize when you need to raise your rates. Am I starting to get, you know, fewer calls from the non-serious people who just want their, you know, demo with their buddies? Uh, I want to work with more serious artists who are willing to invest more, you know, over time. You'll recognize that. And you will also recognize a certain point when people will say, that's too expensive for me. Recognize that as well. Hopefully that will help you. Okay, so number 11. I know I said top 10, but like I said, there's more. Um, Number 11, what are your thoughts on recording schools? (laughs) So I have ranted about recording schools probably more than I'm willing to admit. And uh, I have a blog post on the Recording Lounge website about recording school. Gotten some pretty heated comments on that and things like that. But I won't really get into it because I've talked about it so much. And I've talked about it on the... Just go read my thoughts on the website Essentially, my thoughts are this, in a nutshell. If you want to go to recording school and you think it will help you and you can afford it, go for it. But it's not a necessity, first of all. I'm not saying you won't enjoy it or you won't learn things. I'm saying it's not a necessity. You don't need to do it. Number two, studios don't care if you have a recording degree. I don't care if an intern or an assistant has a recording degree. I want to see skills. I want to see the hard skills. Whether you learn that at school or in the back alley, uh, you know, next to a dumpster, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care where you learned it. I want to see that you have skills and that you have actual like hard skills with audio, but also soft skills working with other people, you know, personal skills. That's really what matters. The other thing is, like I said, because of my upbringing from my my dad and my grandpa, both talking about debt being, you know, the enemy and very, very, very much trying to avoid it. It's really hard for me, especially in America, uh, for me to recommend going into that much debt for a degree that is unneeded. Um, If you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you have to go to school for those things. That's required. But in audio, it's not. And for people to spend that much money to go to school for a degree that is not necessary, I just I just have a hard time recommending it. I really, really do. Couple this with the fact that many of the recording schools out there, not all of them, but many of them are kind of a joke in terms of what they teach. Like they're either outdated or they're very general Or it's not anything you couldn't learn on YouTube or Mix with the Masters or Groove 3 or this podcast or Pensado's Place or from books. Like, it's nothing revolutionary that you couldn't learn from a myriad of sources that are cheap or free. It's just that people don't have the discipline to do it themselves, to read all those books, to to watch those podcasts and those YouTube channels and all that, like... They just don't have the discipline to do it. Now, I think younger generations are getting there where they're used to watching Twitch and YouTube and, you know, all this stuff. It's not weird for them to learn online, but I think it's hard for a lot of people to, to do that. Um, so, again, I'm not saying it's useless. I'm not saying it's, you know, bad. I'm just saying the cons far outweigh the pros, in my opinion, and 
Um, it's just not necessary. Now, if you've got a ton of money and you want to invest it on a recording degree and you want to go to school and you think you'll learn a lot, then go for it. But if it tells you anything, I have never hired an intern or an assistant who went to school for recording. Um, the ones that tend to get the jobs are the ones that have more experience and they just have better skills. They spent that four years doing the job, working with clients or working, um, learning on their own and developing their own way of doing things. And, you know, when I meet with these people, I, I interview them, I put out applications, all this stuff. Like, um, I just haven't ever really been super impressed with, with the curriculum that comes out of a recording school. It seems very general. It seems like, again, something you could learn on YouTube for free or something you could learn from reading books, something you could learn even at a local tech school rather than a college, like something that you can just take a couple of programs or, or lessons or whatever. It, it's basically the same thing as that, except they're charging 10 times more or 20 times more. You know, I think you'd be better off trying to get an internship and reading a bunch of books and really diving into YouTube and and all these amazing resources that we have for a year than going to school for four years. Like if you could commit yourself, I'm going to really figure this stuff out. I'm going to spend the next year reading every day, watching YouTube every day, listening to podcasts every day. You know, maybe taking some, getting some internships or whatever every, you know, every day working towards this. I bet you would learn more in one year than you would from four years of school. And you pay a couple hundred bucks in books and subscriptions rather than who knows how many thousands of dollars for a degree that is unnecessary. So I don't mean to offend anybody. That's never my intention. You know, I'm just being honest about my opinion. You can read more about it on the blog post if you want to. That's probably more brutal and, and blunt than what I, you know, just said. But, you know, I'm kind of a misunderstood guy when it comes to a lot of things. And that's one of those areas where people think I'm like making fun of their degree or, you know, I'm saying your life is a joke and, you know, whatever. It's like, no, I, I'm just saying I have an opinion on it. I think it's a waste of money in the grand scheme of things. There are so many other ways to do it. I think it's a waste of money. That's my personal opinion. Not saying you're stupid. I'm not saying you're a fool. You know, am I not allowed to have an opinion? So yeah, there's my opinion on recording schools. Take it or leave it. Sorry if I offended you. Okay, number 12. This is a good one. If you could go back in time, what would you do differently about your career? Absolutely, the first thing that comes to mind is I would say no more. I would say, I would learn to say no, and I would say no more often. There are so many projects I can look back on and think, I really shouldn't have taken that. I didn't like the music, or I didn't get along with the client, or I didn't understand the music, or I wasn't ready to do it. I should have passed it off to someone who was better than me and said, like, listen, this is too big of an undertaking for me. Uh, I'm not really capable of recording this, uh, you know, well. <laughs> I wish I would have said no and been honest more. Because, again, there's a certain point in your career, especially now, like this stuff lasts forever. You know what I mean? Like this stuff is on the internet forever. It's different. Like back in the day, a CD would hit the shelf and, you know, it, it disappear in six months and nobody would care. Um, and if it was really good, then it would stay, you know, so you didn't have anything to worry about there. 
But now if a band can put out something on, on the internet and it's there forever with your name on it. And so I think now more than ever, it's important for people to learn to say no to projects, to say no to things they don't like, things that they're not going to enjoy producing, things that they can't at least somewhat hear the finished result in their head before they even start. I'm still trying to get better at this all the time. There are definitely some clients that I've had over the years that I think, man, they really should have gone with this other person. Um, even if they couldn't afford that person, they would have done a better job. Or even if I was the more expensive person, they might have gone with me simply because they thought I was better. But in reality, what they wanted was something um, that this other engineer could do better for cheaper because they understand the music more you know, all the reasons, you name it. The basic point is when you first start out, you kind of just have to say yes to everything. I understand that. You have to take everything. You have to get experience. You have to get a reputation. But as soon as you are able to kind of back off on that a little bit, uh, I really do challenge you to say no. Say no to stuff that you're going to hate, you're not going to enjoy, stuff that you potentially aren't going to want your name on forever. That's what I would go back and change. I would I would say no more often rather than just taking everything for sure. Okay, and number 13, here's our here's our last one. What are some real tangible ways that I can improve my career today? So, some of the summaries and takeaways from today. Number 1, learn to say no. Definitely learn to say no. Give yourself some vacation time. You have to book it. You have to plan it. You have to prioritize your yourself, your family, your mental health, your sanity. Don't stress too much about things. Try your best to, to de-stress and manage your stress. Find other activities and hobbies that you can, you can look to and, and get your brain completely off of the studio for a while. And also realize that everybody's path looks different. It's not going to be the same for everybody. Don't worry so much about what I've done or what other people have done. Just try to realize that it is a long game. It is a long game that you have to play. And it's going to look a little bit different every time you play. And also understand that there's not really a right answer to any of these questions that I that I had, that, that some of them are going to look completely different for some of you. And that's all right. You're never really going to feel ready. You're never really going to feel like... This is going this is going to work for sure. Um, but I promise you, at least in my situation, uh, I can promise from from my view that if you give it the time and attention it deserves, if you're patient, if you provide good quality, if you're honest, if you're trustworthy to clients and you and you give it time, you can build a business and you can build much more stability financially. You can build this stuff over time. And get to a place where you can get consistent work, you can pay your bills, and you can do what you love. Um, it just has to, it just is a longer game than most people think it is. So hopefully all of these tips have been helpful. If you have questions, comments, ideas for shows, send them my way, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a patron of this podcast, you can support us over on patreon.com slash recording lounge. Thank you so much to all the supporters out there who have supported the podcast and updated their pledges and all this stuff to, to help me continue doing this podcast and hopefully pay an assistant to help me edit this podcast so I can get more of them out more often. 
Um, I've got a lot of great episodes planned. It's just a matter of time. Um, they will be coming. Um, make sure you sign up for our Recording Lounge email list, which again is zero spam. I mostly use it to inform people of when new shows release, when new YouTube videos come out, if there's any updates, if there are any issues uh, that I need to address, things like that, you know, server issues or whatever. Um, you can go to recordingloungepodcast.com for the info on that. You can go sign up for the newsletter. And uh, and you can, again, you can you can remove your subscription at any time. No, no offense whatsoever to me. So, all right. I hope all of you have taken away some things from this. I hope all of you have a great week. I'll talk to you next time.